that. Matthew chapter 11 today, verse 7, the word says, As they departed, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than even he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Can I get an amen this morning? I'm going to read it again. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Come on, I want us to pray this morning because I believe that we, the body, we right here in Rome, we Legacy Church, I am believing that we are becoming a force to be reckoned with. I said, I believe Legacy Church is becoming a force to be reckoned with. Come on, would you just stretch your hands this way and let's pray, Lord, right now. Lord, I pray that you would use this word as it comes forth today. Lord, we are believing this morning as the word comes out of my mouth, Lord, that it's going to fall on the hearts and souls of people who are hungry and ready to receive it. Lord, this morning I declare that anything that's fighting for our attention, our texts, our phones, social media, things coming up this week, Lord, we just lay those things at your feet this morning and we lock our eyes on your face and we lock our ears to your voice this morning and we just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So right now, Lord, let this word come forth and let it be like fire in our bones this morning. And the church said amen. And the church said amen. Amen and amen. God is a God with plans. If you are an organized person, you will love the Lord. But he's not always on your time. But he always has a plan. He always has a plan. He's a God with plans. God has plans not only for the entire body of Christ, but God also has plans specifically for you this morning. His plans far exceeds what people think about you or what people say about you. And I want to declare that over this house this morning. I want to declare that Satan's plans will not prosper, but God's plans will prosper for you. And God's plans come to prosper you and come to develop you. God is not only a God of plans, but he is also a God of promise. Because when God promises you a thing, you will see it. Amen? When God promises you a thing, you will see it come to pass. When God promises you a thing, he is not like people. He, he never goes back on his word. He, he's not like people because how many of you know this morning that people can be fickle? People will forget 
what they promised you five minutes ago. Any parents ever intentionally forgot what you promised your kid five minutes ago? Come on, somebody. I know y'all ain't, all ain't that holy in here. But when God gives you a promise, he who began a good work is faithful to finish what he started and spoke to you. Amen. We've been singing it this morning. God is a promise keeper. And when God says he is going, we're going to be singing it. When God says he's going to heal you, he will heal you. When God said that he's going to restore your marriage, he will restore your marriage. Even if it doesn't matter what others have told you. It doesn't matter what your friends have told you. You should leave him. You should leave her because this it's never going to work. It doesn't matter what they said because if God promised it, it shall work. And we've got to learn to hold on to promises more than we hold on to other people's opinions. The question is, if we truly are a people of promise, then what is the problem that is big enough to distract us from his promise? If we truly are a people that believe in his promises, what is that problem that is big enough to distract us from his word? Why are we worried about problems if we have his promise? Promises should always trump the problems. That's why we should be able to walk in here on a Sunday with our problem and still be able to praise. I said, that's why we should still be able to walk in this place after having a horrible week, after receiving some terrible news, after a burden that we've been carrying all week long. That is why we should be able to walk into the house of the Lord with our problem and still have a praise. Because just because I'm over here worshiping, just because I'm over here dancing, just because my my hands are raised and I'm clapping and I'm singing, It does not mean that I do not have a problem. It just means that I have more faith in his promise than I do in my problem. I don't worship because my life is perfect, but I worship because his promises are yes and amen. I dance because of his promise. I shout because of his promise. I clap because of his promise. I will sing because of the promise. And I wish I had about 50 people this morning that understands what I'm saying and can give God some praise because of the promise and despite the problem I will praise the Lord despite my problem I will praise despite the size of my problem God is a God with plans God is a God of promise and that means that also it must mean that God is also a God of victory I said God is a God of victory God doesn't know how to lose. All he knows how to do is win and win and win. Some of you are sore losers. I've watched you. I've beaten many of you in board games. I've watched your temper. I've watched your attitude. I've watched you talk back to the pastor. But the Lord... All he knows how to do is win. He wins and wins again. And when it looks like the devil is about to, no, the Lord, he wins again. And he keeps winning and winning. And whenever he keeps winning, the church keeps winning. If you know God is a God of plans and God is, God is a God of promise, he's a God of victory, you also must know that God is a God of strategy. See, 
The reason some of us have not reached victories, the reason some of us have not yet grabbed a hold of it or been able to see it, it's tangible, is because we've not obeyed his strategy. See, because sometimes, how many of you know that when, when a God strategy comes to you, when God speaks a strategy to you, sometimes they don't come and sound like you thought they should. If you look at Joshua, He's standing outside the walls of Jericho and God speaks to him and says, Joshua, you are about to take Jericho. And I can only imagine Joshua, they're like, okay, Lord, who do I need to kill? That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the way we've always done it. Who, who do I need to take down, Lord? How many, Lord... How many swords do I need to prepare? Lord, how many men do I need with me? Lord, I've got my armor on. Lord, I'm ready. Just tell me what to do. Joshua is thinking this is going to be a fight. And then all of a sudden God tells him, you're not going to kill a soul because my strategy is you don't need a sword. You're just going to walk around a wall. What? I've never conquered anything by walking around it. There's never been a story like this in history. And that's your strategy. Yes, you're going to walk around the wall. Oh, you can see Joshua thinking, okay, this is a battle. So if I'm walking around the wall, you must want me to walk around the wall and talk smack to them. <laughs> Any smack talkers in the house? I've played board games with some of you too. We're going to walk around this wall. That's what you want me to do. And we're going to talk smack to him. What you looking at? Your mama's ugly. You know, that gets everybody. Don't talk about mama. Your mama's ugly. So that's what, and God is like, no. That's not the strategy. You are literally going to walk around the wall and say nothing. See, a lot of us can't see victory in our Jericho because we can't quit talking long enough to get God's strategy. We can't quit talking and telling him how to do it long enough to get a download from heaven. But God said, at the right time, if you obey my strategy, I will do for you what you could not do for yourself. If you will obey my strategy, I will handle what you could not handle. If you get in on my strategy, I can do some things that a man could never do for you. But can you obey me long enough to see the victory? God wants you to get victory, but you've got to obey his strategy. And in today's text, we see the strategy of God for redemption. The strategy of God for redemption would be that I'm sending Jesus for redemption. And the strategy is, before I send the substance, Jesus, I must obtain structure. You've got to have some structure before you get the substance. And any time God is getting ready to send you the substance, the, the tangible thing of victory, he is wanting you to show him that you have structure enough to handle it in your life. Can I get an amen? God, I want to own my own business. You don't even have a checking account. If he were to give you the business, you don't have the structure. 
to catch the blessing. Lord, I want my kids saved. And he's like, but you won't even make your fifth grader come to church with you. Lord, I want my kids saved. Then why are they on a baseball field on a Sunday morning? I'm going to preach it. Whether I, mm. He said, you got to show me the structure. I want a spouse, Lord. But you can't even keep a job. And he's wondering, I want you to have the substance. I want to bless you with it. But just show me the structure. God, I want these things that I don't have the structure for. And God is saying, I've got the substance. I've got the answer. All you've got to do is show me you've got some structure. And, 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 and when you give me the structure, I'll bring the substance and your faith will become a reality because faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's so many people in this room this morning. God is trying to bless you. God is trying to show you. God is trying to answer you. But there's no structure to catch it when he, when he sends it down from heaven. God is trying to send the substance named Jesus. But first, he sends the structure, the scaffolding. John, he says, he's preparing a way. He's starting the church. He's, 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 when people look at him, they're, they're starting to see Jesus. When they look at him, they're starting to see the future church. He's the structure. And Jesus opens up the text this morning. And he begins to talk about this structure. He is saying, John the Baptist is greater than you've ever known. But before he was a prophet to you, he was a cousin to me. See, this relationship between John and Jesus is not something new. This has been going on for a while. Even this, goes, this relationship goes all the way back to their mother's womb. And the Bible says that his mother Elizabeth was barren and said that she had closed herself off in her house for months after becoming pregnant. Isn't that interesting? And while I was reading and studying about Elizabeth this week, many believe that she actually shut herself up in her house because she was afraid that that baby was dead on the inside of her because she had been barren for so long. She felt like she was carrying a dead thing with a living promise. I've got the promise, but it feels dead. God gave us a promise and it was planted on the inside of us, but it's been a while since I felt this thing kick, Lord. It's been a while. I don't even know if this thing has a heartbeat anymore. Five years ago, whenever you gave me the word, whenever, the, whenever I received the prophecy, whenever, whenever you showed me the dream, I was jumping and I was shouting and I was serving and I was giving. And now five years have come and gone and there's no kick left in me. I haven't, I haven't seen that thing come to pass yet. And now I have closed myself off. I have shut myself off from everyone. And now I am stuck in a season because it feels like I'm carrying a dead dream with the living promise. But isn't it amazing? At just the right time, God sent Mary, mother of Jesus, pregnant with Jesus. God sent Mary to Elizabeth with Jesus on the inside of her. 
See, that's what God does. He takes people just like us that have a little bit of Jesus on the inside of them, and he will lead you to people that have no dreams. He will lead you to people that feel like they are dead on the inside. He will take somebody who's got some Jesus on the inside of them, and he will put you right in the middle full of people that are gossiping. He will put you right in front of somebody that feels like they have no hope. They feel like they are lost, and he'll let that Jesus on the inside of you minister to your neighbor. And the word says that as soon as Mary, you know, carrying Jesus, got around Elizabeth, you know, that's got that dead thing on the inside of her. The word said that as soon as Mary got around Elizabeth, that baby on the inside of Elizabeth began to leap again. See, that's why you need to go to a spirit-filled church. That's why you need people with the spirit on the inside of them speaking to you because you've been around dream killers all week long. You've been around negative Nancy all week long. You've been around worrying Wanda all week long. And you need some people around you that can look at you and say, you may think that is dead, but God is bringing it back to life. That thing's about to leap on side of you again. I don't know about you, but I feel something coming alive in my belly this morning. I don't know about you, but I feel something leaping at Legacy Church. I don't know about you, but I feel somebody. You thought you were dead, but God is telling you to get up and leap again. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to leap in their spirit. Somebody's baby inside is beginning to leap again. Don't stop believing. Your child will be saved. Your business will be successful. That addict will be clean. I want to declare this over the church this morning. There's about to be a leaping spirit that comes over Legacy Church. And when people get out of their car... They're going to start leaping inside. When people walk through the door, something is coming alive. When worship starts, there's something is leaping in their belly. Jesus was standing outside the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And the word says that he was bound with grave clothes. And he came leaping on out. You rang. I'm coming. I don't know about you. If I got to leap there, I'm going to leap there. I may can't walk because I'm bound, but you better believe I can leap my way to victory. I'm leaping today. Leap. Mary comes to Elizabeth. John inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, begins to leap because of Jesus that was inside of Mary. I don't know about you, but I want whatever that Jesus that's inside of me, I want that Jesus inside of me to make my neighbor leap. I don't know about you, but I want that Holy Ghost that's inside of me to catch my neighbor on fire. Whenever I leave, I don't want them to say, oh, he's got a great personality. I wish I could dance like he does. I know what y'all saying about me. Why y'all laughing? No, I want them to say, man, I felt Jesus. Whew, I don't know what that was. I felt something in the room. Inside of the, the womb, John had an encounter. And I think John, the Baptist, was actually the first person to do the Jesus jerk. Whew. 
He was inside the womb and felt it. The first Jesus jerk happened in a womb. That's why we don't kill babies. Because that baby just, be, just might be a John the Baptist. That baby just may be somebody who's preparing the way for a generation to find Jesus. Jerk. And then John is born. And if you know anything about John the Baptist, you know that when he came out of his mama, he was born a little different. Anybody got a kid that's just a little different? Don't raise your hand. We know who it is. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He was just a little different. See, this is why you can't tell me you've had an encounter with God and come out of that encounter and not be a little different. He had an encounter, and he came out different. That's why these people that say they've been with Jesus, and they're no different. Mm. Because if you ever have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to be a little different. Can I get an amen? He comes out, and he's just a little different. Everybody else is running to the temple and he's running to the wilderness. Everybody else, they're hungry. They're over here eating hummus at Jerusalem Grill. <laughs> he's over here. I'm hungry. What you going to have? Locusts. I'm back over here. Just put a little honey on it. It'll make it all right. He's a little different. And God begins to use... This different guy as the structure for Jesus. He begins to use this weird guy. Everybody else, they wanted soft robes. He wanted robes with animal hair on it. Weird. I don't know, but I, I see him just having like dreadlocks. Weird. Different. And God begins to use this different guy as the structure, as the word says, to prepare the way for the Lord. And John is here, and he's walking around preaching. Now listen, it'd be cool to be John the Baptist, but if I were John the Baptist preaching what John the Baptist was preaching, I would have been fired about four years ago. Because John the Baptist only had one sermon. It was repent. Everywhere you go, repent. What you preaching about today, brother? Repent. What's on your podcast today? Repent. What you posting about today? Repent. Everything. It was repent, repent. And here there was a reconnecting. Watch this. As John is standing in the water and he looks through the crowd and spots Jesus. Isn't this interesting? Follow me. His first connection with Jesus, he was in the fluid, the water in his mama. And now, his next connection, he's standing in the water of a river. 
Water in the scripture is the spirit. They were spiritually connected. God was molding these two together to build strategy, to build the church. And now, once again, they are meeting in the water again. And in that moment, being the good leader that John the Baptist was, he, he, he released Jesus' identity and his assignment. He said, your identity, behold the Lamb of God. He said, the assignment that takes away the sin of the world. Listen, if you are a leader, you need to jot this down because good leaders in your life will always release identity and assignment. For years, they're somewhat doing this ministry together. You don't read a lot about them together, but they're, but they're working on the same project together. John is doing his own thing and Jesus is doing what only Jesus can do. And we never hear them argue. We never hear John look at Jesus and say, you're getting too close to my people. We never hear Jesus say, you better back up, John. No, here they are. They are, they, 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 it, it is a strategy from heaven. And they are working together to build what will become the church. And here they are. They, they, one is here and one is there. And they're ministering together with strategy and the same purpose. But the time had come. When the Lord looks at Jesus, because John had been the figure of Christianity. He had been the head of the church. But the time had come when the Lord looks at Jesus and lets him know that the time is now. And that it's his time. And that it's his turn. It was Jesus' time. It was his turn to be the head of the church, to be at the helm. Because there's always a moment when God sees that you are ready and he puts you in a place where you experience removal. Your readiness will prompt removal in your life. Some people blame the devil for something God is removing because it's so painful. <sighs> removal is painful. Removal may be the most greatest pain that a human being will face on the planet. Losing somebody. They walked out of your life. It's painful when that person, those people that were there for that season are not going to be in this season. And sometimes we, the church, will abort the substance by running from the pain of removal. Because how can Jesus be the head of the church until John loses his head? Something had to be removed for Jesus to be the head. How did John die? He wasn't crucified. He was beheaded. How could Jesus be the head of the body until John's head was removed? And here is Jesus hurt by what happened. In tears by what has happened. Yet he knew that it had to happen before his next could take place. And here he's speaking about how great John was. And we get to verse 12. Ban, help me out. 
we get to verse 12, and it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers. What? Suffers. I thought we, this is a place of joy. I thought Christianity was like rose-colored glasses. Just fun. Yes, you want success? God is like, don't ask for success for the kingdom if you're not willing to go through the suffering for the kingdom. Don't ask for more anointing if you're not willing to be under pressure because there's no oil unless the olive is squeezed. There's no fresh oil unless somebody has squished literally the olive. He said, if you want more from me, there's a price. It's easy to speak of the blessing, but sometimes to get your next, you've got to experience some pressure. You've got to experience some suffering. You've got to shed some tears. You've got to contemplate every day. Is the day when I'm going to quit? Is the day when I'm going to give up? But 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 it is the suffering that is producing the oil over the church. It is it is the pressure in this time. Those people who continue to walk and say, I will not quit, that's producing the oil for light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory I know it hurts but don't quit because glory is coming and from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence we are watching every day violence coming against the kingdom of God through the airwaves through agendas every day we are watching it's rough out there it's tough out there it was violent see but watch Satan don't want you to get is this next part that says that while the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. Those who are fed up take it by force. In other words, the suffering, the spiritual violence, the longing, Everything that you've been going through has been like fuel to your fire inside of you. The gossip, the talk, it's not tearing you down. It's setting you on fire. When you were getting beat down, you started declaring, I will get back up. When everybody was gossiping about you, when words, when words were speaking against you, you were busy getting his word in your spirit, and Satan thought those words were going to tear you down. And now, 
There's a righteous anger that is building on the inside of you and you are declaring, devil, you cannot have my kids. Devil, get your hands off my marriage. Get your hands off of my house. Get your hands off my mind. Get your hands off of my future. Get your hands off of this generation. Devil, you messed up because now I'm turning into spiritually violent. You made me pray more. You made me get in the word more. You thought you were tearing me down, but I got deeper in my worship. Now I'm coming out of this thing with a fight. Now I'm coming out of this thing saying, devil, get your hands off of my family. Is anybody in the house today? Come on, I want you to sing this out this morning. Come on, sing it out this morning. Yes, Lord. 